Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's installment of Aftermath Hours. I am Nathan Grayson, and I am joined by Luke Plunkett, Chris Person, and Riley McLeod. Hi, I'm, hey, everybody. We should I'm say our Chris actual person. Names. Yeah, I was going to say that doesn't really help. It. Go ahead. We have to we have to introduce ourselves so that we you have a you have a a, a name to the to the to the voice. I'm Chris. Okay. I'm Luke. Hi. Who's everybody else? Good morning. I'm Riley. There we go. There That's we go. That's who everybody is. Now you all know, and I guess for the podcast listeners, you know what our voices are. Um, but yeah, all right. So as per usual, how are folks doing this week? I'm doing pretty well because I just got back from a vacation earlier this week that was very, very nice. Um, but also I just got back today from the doctor because I have been dealing with pain. So really the full spectrum of the human experience all kind of crushed into a few days. It's been pretty cool. Are you okay? You don't have to share uh, your yeah. medical. I, I think I just like, I, I think I just like strained a muscle really badly, and it's just not healing well. So I'm gonna just have to take it easy in some ways. The problem that I have, and it's uh, similar to Gita's problem, is that sitting down seems to exacerbate what I'm dealing with. Specifically, sitting in my office chair, and so that makes it hard to work and also heal. Mm. Um, which I guess is often the case for many different kinds of injuries one could sustain. Um, but yeah, so I don't know. I'll figure out th how to thread the needle. I will all live. And that's what matters. Anyone listening to this as a podcast and not watching as a stream is missing out on Chris at mention of bad backs and office chairs, just like simmering, <laughs> <laughs> waiting to give some like official medical advice on this. Not even medical advice. I will literally, like I've done this for other people. I will go like a Ronin or I don't know, not, like a mercenary. I don't know. What's the one? Bounty hunter. That's it. I'll do a chair bounty hunter situation for you. Like my friend who uh, I go to uh, their coffee shop a lot was like, hey, Chris, I need speakers because uh, my partner just moved out. And I was like, I got it. And so I ended up in flushing to get them a pair of DCM CX-27s uh, because I'm a friend. And I will do that at the drop of a hat if a friend is in pain or is listening to bad speakers. Also, uh, if you become a benefactor of aftermath.site, <laughs> um, one of our benefactor perks is that we'll recommend a thing to you. So I will you literally do that if you, if you become our that. benefactor. Yeah, I, I'll, you, you, you get in the, in, in the homie club for... For, for for gear gear <laughs> personal gear recommendations um, yeah so you know spend money mm -hmm. get access to <laughs> wire, cutter, wire cutter for weirdos is is what you get access yeah. to spending that much money a month damn should we call should we have called the website that no we couldn't no do just that. whatever my corner <laughs> whatever my corner and then yeah the new york times would probably sue us for really annoying reasons oh, yeah. mm. they'd be like yeah. you can't use that mm. um well, yeah, maybe. I mean, I have a whole, I, I'm using a gaming chair, obviously, which, you know, pros and cons. I know you're, you're shaking your head. This has just been my hair for, or my, my chair for a I, long time. I, I get it. No, and, I, I get it. Yeah. Like if you don't have this like weird point of view of like, you can just go, you live in a city where they're throwing them on the street. Like I, I, I keep getting anecdotes of like, I was like walking down the street from, uh, back from jujitsu and the guy was, this guy was like, yeah, uh, you know, he's like demolishing an office. He's like, yeah, just threw out four chairs, nice ones with mesh in them. And I'm like, fuck, <laughs> could have saved so many friends. That, that would have just like solved like so many problems. And it's just like, yeah, no, I, uh, 
I, you know, it's one of those things where like the, the gamer chair, the, the issue with the gamer chair is that they're just not very well built. Like they have to make a really high profit on them. And also like the material dis- disintegrates. Mm-hmm. Um, it like, it just, it gets, it gets like, it's this weird pleather situation. Like it's not like a nice mesh or like a fabric that's uh, mine's not made of that. Mine is like a mesh material. I think it is not the pleather. So it, yeah. it's held up pretty well. It's just more that like my, my body is falling yeah, apart I, in all I didn't sorts of interesting to, ways. I didn't mean to like, um, to like, to, 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 to put it into that situation. You're also really trapped sorry. with I'm it because really... it's, it's part of your brand now. Like that chair is famous. Yes. Like it's been in too many blogs for you to just get rid of it. You just right. have to put up and with it's the pain. Like, um, people who can't see my background, it, it also kind of pulls the room together. You've got pink on the chair, now pink on the pillowcases, and there's a little Kirby automaton on my light. You know, without that, uh, this room is not coherent. This room is not any fun to look at. I guess it's not usually anyway, but whatever. Um, anyway, um, a lot of news happened this week. Sort of. A lot of big news happened this week. I don't think a ton happened. It's been kind of a quiet week outside of a few major things. But those few major things are like seismic events. (laughs) Um, So let's start with, I think, the biggest, which occurred yesterday. Uh, Disney bought a big share in Epic, and they're going to do a bunch of collaborations. seems like it's centered around Fortnite. They're going to build a shared universe of some sort where all of the Disney and Marvel and whatever else characters can roam free. What are y'all's thoughts on that? Disney Infinity died for this. Like, oh yeah, yeah. Disney Infinity. Disney, no, li- I, I- Disney literally had a metaverse adjacent game that they owned that had cartoonish, like a universally styled cartoonish take on all of their Star Wars and Marvel and Disney properties. They owned it. It was a game you could buy figures for it as well as the game. It was good. And they killed it, and now they're back, and it's costing them one and a half billion dollars to just go and do it in someone else's game. It's like uh, I didn't think of that at all. That's very smart. I, that's basically what I think is like you know the only time I have like really good memories aside from that I, I didn't have that point of reference because like I didn't have kids at the time or ever. Um, but like, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like the, the the times when I think of like Disney as being a good gaming company is like Capcom. Like when they outsourced shit to like like a Mickey Mouse game that would just kind of pop off for no reason, you know, like you're like, ah, oh, damn, this is a really good platformer with great music. Oh, it's developed by like some of the best like platforming like designers of this era. That's like the yeah, it's main never, time it's never I because think. Disney do something intelligent or strategic themselves. It's always somebody else getting access to a Disney license and making an incredible video game. Is all, and that's why it just happens. It just pops up every five or ten years. There's like some killer Disney based game made by like you know, like the Aladdin and Lion King games that popped up in the, in the 90s just came out of nowhere. But like, that wasn't a Disney, Disney didn't make those games. Like they just licensed it. And every time Disney itself tries to step in and like, oh, we're going to make video games. They just fuck it up so badly every single time. I will say the bizarre, the bizarre thing, because we were talking about it, like, man, they don't make, I, I get very nostalgic for like Wipeout and like people just putting their whole like ass into a, into a track and somebody did point out a while back that the disney speedstorm soundtrack is like nuts because it's like the the mickey mouse march but like done in dubstep it's really weird <laughs> like you'd never guess from this like whatever like mario kart clone but like there's a couple of tracks in there that are kind of good but again that's just because like some freak was like yeah meh, meh, meh. some guy like game loft in spain was like what if i did what if i just did like what if i put a house track in here or something but that's why Disney Infinity was so good because they, they like, you never knew the studios working on it, but they roped in a bunch of like very good studios 
to work, <clears throat> not just on the main game, but on the spin-offs. Like there was a car racing spin-off and then there was like a, the Star Wars focused stuff and the Marvel focused stuff. And they roped in some pretty like talented developers to do some of that stuff. And parts of it end up being really cool. But like, we don't, like people don't notice that because like, oh, Disney Infinity was for kids. And then it yeah. gets lost because it was under the Disney umbrella. But like, yeah. You wrote a good blog about it on Kotaku, didn't you? Was that you? It was, Disney Infinity yeah. remains like a really important part of my like, not my family life, but like whenever kids come over to our house, like family or friends, like people always end up playing Disney infinity because they see the figures and they're like, what the hell is this? And you're like, oh, it's Disney infinity. And you put it on and the kids play it and they lose their minds because they can play this game where they're just like Anakin Skywalker. And then they can just take the figure off and put fucking Alice in Wonderland on there <clears throat> and then swap that out and put Peter Pan or Donald Duck or whatever. And, and they're playing mm. the same game and they're beating the shit out of each other, but as a Marvel character and then as, like a Disney character. And then as one of the, tr like the, the truck, like made from cars, they're just like, and they're losing their minds over it. And then you're like, man, this game got canceled in 2016 and kids are still finding it in 2024 and thinking it's like the bee's knees. Um, that's so interesting. Cause that's exactly Fortnite. And it I, is exactly I think it's still in Fortnite where you can change outfits like in a match. Now I can't remember if you can still but just do that. The, the metaverse like, appeal of yeah. being able to be anyone in a game that's full of user created yeah. content. Like that's really easy to use and is primarily like built so that kids can use it. It's like you had that, you had it already and it was your game. Like it just, you could have made <laughs> Disney infinity better. Um, uh, yeah. I, I also just think it's like, I don't know. It's a sort of like getting back to like, why did Nintendo never make a survival game? Why did they never rip off Minecraft? Because it just seems like the most, or why didn't Lego never make Minecraft? It seems like the most well, obvious thing. Well, now they did. Now they've got well, Fortnite. they did, but Lego you know Fortnite. what I mean? Like, yeah, they did why did it take them so long bad. and why were they always bad stewards of this idea when it seems like the mm -hmm. most obvious slam dunk on earth? And this is like something that these big companies where it's like, where it always feels like the most natural fit always screw it up and they always mismanage sometimes a pretty good product or they just never even get to the point where that product exists. Yeah. Well, now they're all seeing opportunities within this for consolidation, mm. but it's like, Oh, you know, the foundation's already there. What if we just spend some money, have somebody else do the hard part that we might screw up and then go from there. Um, also chat people in chat are talking about, uh, kingdom hearts with guns. Um, and yeah, finally Sora can shoot Sephiroth. Yeah. Which I, I do think would level the playing field in that fight a little bit. I mean, why not? Um, it's like, give him a gunblade. You know, a keyblade is like, kind of like, a, you know, he could just do whatever. Right. They're they're from the same family. It is fascinating that, you know, I, I think that definitely Sora had the worst combined item sword. Meanwhile, Squall was running around in the same world with a gunblade and nobody was like, hey, we should just use those. Oh, well. Um, but yeah, it is like a really... I, I don't know, because I, I look at this as somebody who's an adult and, you know, see people talking about like, or I see even Disney talking about the potential of like, we can have this character and that character hang out together. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, there's not really that much you can do in terms of interesting storytelling on this front. A lot of it is just an excuse to put a bunch of things that you recognize in the same place. And like, why can we not just let stories die anymore? Because, you know, yesterday at the same time that this got announced, um, you also had the announcement of like Toy Story 5 and another Moana movie and Frozen 3. And it's all these like, especially the Frozen and Toy Story. It's just like, what what else is there to do? Like, just let it end, please. But is of the, course, they're not is, going to. Is the Moana movie a movie or was it? Because like, I thought so people were like, it. 
I think people were speculating, and maybe I was wrong, that like it was supposed to be a limited series, and they're like, oh, we should just put this in the theaters. But maybe yeah. that was just like scuttlebutt I was hearing, because I'm going to be honest, like I don't care about like Disney animated announcements and so i only get it through a, a reserve like um like a reflection of what people are talking about but like man i really don't want another toy story movie i don't want right. i don't know if i want any pixar movies anymore man they're washed i don't care like the the, the look man i the, the ability to hurt me ended with i don't know up like the first 10 minutes of up at least when they were doing like the really manipulative shit like that and like parts of wally like at least that felt evil in an honest way. And now I don't know. Now just everybody has anxiety and I don't care about that. Maybe it's because it's not, I'm not the demographic anymore and I'm an adult. But like yeah, even I back mean, then there was like, there was an idea of like, this is a, a, a for everybody movie. And now it's just like, this is interchangeable to, to like DreamWorks to me. Maybe I'm not giving them a, the, the, the amount of credit, you know, but like, it's no, just, I it think seems, it's, it, you, you you talk about like Pixar. We're going to go on a tangent here, but P Pixar movies are like the one, the earlier movies, and the ones that have the biggest sort of resonance with fans tended to be these ones that pitch this unique setting and this really cool, universally appealing storyline. And then it feels like, yeah, after the up and and that sort of era of movies, they sort of hit this ceiling or or something. I'm not sure, but and it's like they just can't go any further and they just keep like I sit down with the Pixar movie and like you said I'm just waiting to see what way they're going to try and hurt me or try and uplift me now in a really like reductive mechanical way because that's what these movies feel like now and they feel like they're pitched in these really esoteric sort of ways in the storyline and the setting need to be explained to me and are like kind of hard to to nail down whereas it used to just be the last robot on earth or a bunch of toys that can talk and it's like oh yeah that's cool like what kid didn't I, like imagine that their toys could talk. Whereas now it's like they live in a world of elements and those yeah, elements. Which, that one is so weird. Yeah. it's like, so, okay. Mm, mm, but here's the thing. And this <laughs> but, is a part of the way too long taking it to, to make this piece piece that I've been writing is that, that <laughs> Sanrio did that movie better. It was called the sea prince and the fire child. And it was basically Romeo and Juliet, like star cross lover shit, but with like, you know, a fire princess and a sea child, a, like a, like a, like a Triton thing. And it's done so well and so dramatically and there's real tragedy to it. And it's not like, it's like, it's really like Koichi Sugiyama does the music and it's like better than all of his other stuff because it doesn't sound like bad Oompa band music. Like it's really, really good, you know? And like, this is what I, there's no stakes. You can't make a child cry anymore. And it, it you should be able to, you should be, you should you make, you're not allowed to, or you you're can't. You're not allowed physically? to because okay. because <laughs> parents are like basically like sovereign citizens now. Like every parent is like basically just the, the the most annoying parent at the PTA. And if you make a child feel uncomfortable, you have done them a grievous disservice, and they will come to your house with a gun. Like that. I, ha <laughs> I have an alternate. Just, I have an alternate take on that. Is that I just think is the Disney only parent here. Yeah, I, I I don't think, well, I mean, I'm not an American parent, so there's a cultural difference there, obviously, but um, I don't think Disney are making these movies for kids anymore. I don't think Pixar are making these movies for kids anymore. They're making them for adults because the, the Disney adult is a far more lucrative market than the Disney child. Um, and so that might explain why some of these movies have more esoteric themes and like 
or stuff like Lightyear that's like pitched as like a, almost a hard sci-fi animated right. film, but it's harking oh, back to really something that's so weird that, that people in but yeah, but people in their thirties and forties that really liked Toy Story when they were younger, yeah. like that's for them. Well, yeah, it's not I mean, for I their think kids. That, yeah, I, I think that you know, based on kind of even just this Disney epic thing, you know, Disney's goal now is to go for everybody. Um, but I do think this element of just mashing all the IPs together and essentially turning it all into like a bunch of action figures in a toy box, that's aimed more at kids because that's an easier sell for kids. Like you're saying, you know, with Lightyear, you had to like, for example, make this more complex sci-fi world, um, you know, at least have a bit of pathos to the character, et cetera. Um, whereas with like, you know, Fortnite, you just take a bunch of recognizable guys, toss them all in a room together and have them blow each other up. Like, these are, yeah, I think to your point, targeted at different things. But if you're Disney, you want everybody because Disney is very monopolist, yeah, monopolistic and obviously just wants to rule the world. I mean, I think that I, as an adult who started playing Fortnite for work and then actually kind of liked it, like I, I hate all that crossover stuff. It feels incoherent. I don't get a kick out of saying, I know that guy when I have to pay, you know, 900 V bucks for a guy or whatever. Um, but kids like it, obviously. And like, it's always surprising to me. I'll play and like so many people are in the Peter Griffin skin now. And I'm like, what? Like what human wants to be Peter Griffin in Fortnite? I don't even understand this. Like what age I can, are I can, you? I can see it. Yeah. Yeah. And like, so I kind of liked Fortnite. And I've made this point before. Like I liked when Fortnite was about itself and I find it off-putting. But this idea that you have, you know, which Disney obviously knows and which Epic wants to know is you have every demographic in there right you have kids and you have adults and like you could reach any of them in any way by you know however they want to engage with disney or whatever they said in their press release um so like you know yeah it's not a bad uh you know it's not a bad gamble if you're just trying to make more money right let me put it this way like you know like a fun fact about toy story is that like john lassiter really really wanted to produce a little movie called the brave little toaster and like, Aww, yeah. if you know that and you know what the Brave Little Toasters deal is, a terrifying story done by a queer science fiction author, very, very good queer science fiction author who wrote one of the best books about science fiction, Tom Stish. Um, you know, it, seeing it sort of like divorced from its source material and being like, oh, yeah, a bunch of talking appliances. That's a bunch of talking toys. Like it's the fucking easiest shit in the world to like make that extrapolation. Like he never let go of it and he continued to do it. But like that movie is brutal and it's brutal in an interesting way. And you could say like that's not pitched at adults, but it's pitched at something where like, oh, OK, like adults cared about what they were giving to children, not childish adults caring about what they give to other childish adults. You know what I mean? And like, that's what it kind of devolved into. And like Pixar did the kind of like sad and in a kind of boring way version eventually. And then that turned into, well, we all have anxiety and I don't want it to sound reactionary because that, 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 that line of thinking can get to a real specific point of like feeling like, oh, cancel culture, blah, 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 blah. That's boring. That's a boring way to think about it. But it's just like, I don't know. There's nothing, there's no meat to anything. There's no punch. I like tried watching that Puss in Boots movie and I, hated it we got like 30 minutes in everyone's like oh it shows anxiety well i was like i don't care this looks awful <laughs> this looks bad yeah i know people in chat are talking about let's see i swear i saw someone say children need to be exposed to weird stories that risk causing them to feel extreme emotions because that might help them start learning how to navigate extreme emotions okay um I and spent then from disney at least we're not getting you know weird stories anymore we're getting often comforting stories or at least very straightforward ones i spent an hour 
with like several Japanese translators last night trying to find the source of that quote and it's Hideki Anno and I think it was from Anime Expo 96. It's mm-hmm. often misquoted as a um it's often misquoted as a quote from Tomino like a between him and Tomino of of Gundam um but it's the idea that you need to give children little bits of poison. Uh <laughs> so you have to put these little rotten things in your works of art because otherwise like it gives them the emotional armor they need as adults to sort of be able to deal with those problems in a simulated context so that they can get develop an immunity to it. You know what I mean? And like, I kind of agree with that. I'm sorry. Like, like, like I, I was posting the Unico movie yesterday. I was posting clips from the Unico movie and it's like, that movie's really terrifying. You know, Unico ends up on like on a crucifix, not like literally, but like stranded in what is clearly like a Christ-like figure. And it's just like, this movie's cool. I'm sorry. You used to be able to do cool shit. Um, Shit's tacky now and everyone's doing evil, like awful, like faces where they do this. That is representative of 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 a strain of like, like a definite generation of kids media though, which had that explicit point that yeah, every kid had to be fed a little bit of poison. Cause like someone my age, like I'm in my forties now, like at the two extremes of things I was exposed to as a kid, you've got stuff like Never Ending Story, which is like a touchstone for a generation of people that say things happen in that movie that fucked me up. And like, because they let Wolfgang Peterson direct a fucking kid's movie. And so <laughs> like, yeah, there's a horse that dies in it, but there's also like a dude that just gets blasted by lasers for no reason. And it's like super traumatic. And that scared me for ages. But the flip side of that is I would get up at six o'clock every Saturday morning and watch kids cartoons. But but my favorite kids cartoon was Macross and like that was fucked up in ways as well. Cause it was a serial drama and like people would die in it and people and, and relation traumatic relationships would take place and stuff. And I'm sitting there like probably seven years old, like being exposed to this stuff. Like, man, you do not get that in Pokemon and you do not get that in like a, a modern Disney story, but I was seeing messy adult shit. Um, but because it was animated in and surrounded by transforming robots, it sort of passed muster and was seen as, as, suitable for kids um and yeah that's i'm not gonna i'm not doing an old man like oh things are different now like like oh they were better when i was a kid but like it is different like it's clearly different that you do not get that kind of stuff in serialized animation or like explicit kids cinema anymore i I think a a little bit of that also is a japan's always been a little bit better at at that like i'm noticing that with like children's media produced organically japan versus in america not all the time but sometimes you know what i mean oh also the other thing is if you like the never-ending story or think it is interesting look up the author of the book michael ende because he did a movie called momo which is about an eternal child it's a german children's movie which is itself kind of funny um about an eternal child who prevents these aliens who are basically g-men men in gray suits who steal time and it's about the monetization of time and the commercialization of time and how it causes you to kill like the idea of of, of quantification of time as like a means of like eroding your soul and uh yeah, that's the kind of shit they did in Germany. I don't know. Stuff, stuff's more interesting when you base it on, like, a children's novel. And children's novels got dumber, so I don't know what else to do, you know? like Yeah. Well, I mean, it also, like, you know, I, I think that you also have to take a look at, at, like, where children are getting a lot of their media now. Because it's not just from companies like Disney. Um, you know, if you want to talk about weird shit that kids are exposed to, most of that happens online now. And not just in the sense of being exposed to, like, weird people, which happens and is not good. Um, but also, like, you know, for example... Um, a lot of people who really got super into like Undertale when that game came out were kids. 
Um, mm-hmm. And like, you know, that was a game that explored a lot of thorny topics and emotions and interesting feelings um, and did, I think, probably a lot of the work that you're talking about with earlier generations of media. Um, yeah. So like, you know, I, I think that Gravity Falls companies. Yeah. Gravity yeah. Falls. Yeah. Adventure Time, things like that. Yep. You know, these things are still being made. They're just being made in other forums and in other places. Yeah. And I guess like, especially in this generation, I find it interesting because also you find a lot of that on like YouTube and TikTok and places like that. Even people like putting together these little micro stories that often, you know, on TikTok will explore interesting feelings, albeit in a couple minutes. Um, and then it's like, well, then who's telling these stories to who are kids telling stories to kids and like, you know, what are, what is the weirdness of that yeah. grounded in? Are they getting exposed to grown up weirdness or like other kids imaginings of what grown up weirdness might be like, like you, you know, you can't, pre- it's, it's strange. You can't prevent children from, from consuming weird media and like right. evil stories. And if they, and if media is not given to them, that is a little fucked up and a little strange and a little weird, then they will create their own or they will gravitate to the strange people who are not beholden to corporate interests that say, maybe make it a little less, you know, maybe make it a little less this, or, you know, the, you know, people who green like things that are a little like a little safer or a little, you mm-hmm. know, it's just, it. you need something that's a little strange. Although I do want to yeah. see, I do want to see that. Um, I meant to watch the Guillermo del Toro Pinocchio because I hear it's about fascism. <laughs> <laughs> I, I heard it wasn't very good, but I also wanted to see what the, what the hell that man's up to. If, that yeah. was like from like two years um, ago, I know, but I, I missed it. Yeah. Um, but no, people in chat are talking about uh, FNAF, Five Nights at Freddy's and games like that. Yeah. And yeah, this was also sort of the point of that piece I wrote a little about, a little while back about Pal World, about how like, you know, um, Power World, at least in terms of the edginess factor. And even in that game, it's not that edgy. Um, but like, you know, is akin to Happy Tree Friends and Five Nights at Freddy's and things like that before where, you know, kids have big imaginations, corporate interests don't want them to be exposed to anything with like edges or, you know, any, any thing that could potentially harm them because that could be controversial. And so they find it elsewhere. Um, and, you know, right now it's Power World. Again, prior to that, it was other forms of media. This just sort of always happens. Um, because kids want to explore and kids, you know, unavoidably live in the adult world that that is where all life takes place. You can't protect them from that forever. Speaking of kids properties and properties that seem like they were sort of made for adults and the colliding thereof, we were just talking about Disney. Now we can move on to the, another side of that coin, Final Fantasy. If we're talking about the mashup of, you know, that happened in Kingdom Hearts, um, because Chris, you've played a lot of Final, or you've played the demo of Final Fantasy VII Rebirth. I did, and you've been saying that it is quite good. It's pretty good. Um, without yeah. spoiling too much, because I do want to play that game in the very near future. I mean, uh, what's de- good about it? The demo is just like the Nibelheim part, or like most of it. You know, up to the like, you know, the the the. the this isn't a spoiler, but up to the, like the complete like you know the fire shot basically that's where it cuts off you know what i mean like everybody's the the most iconic shot in the game like was in magazines and shit um it's interesting uh i have weird relationship i have a weird relationship with final fantasy the remake because like i kind of like i think it's better than what final fantasy 15 did combat wise and i appreciate it and think it's the best version of that sort of weird hybrid action thing. Um, but also it's like kind of like a 
do one or the other for me at this point. Like, I think that that either make a full character, either make Stranger of Paradise or make like Final Fantasy Tactics or like a traditional, like everybody, you know, you have to zoom in and it does like the, the and then you do turn based like that. That's to me, the hybrid thing. I, I get the appeal. It's just not it never clicks for me. Um, and I know you can do turn based in that game, but probably going to play it that way. It's fine. Um, it looks really pretty. They probably didn't put completely like oh god what was it the, the, when when final fantasy uh re, remake like the first one came out they put so many like too many polygons in like the models were so uncompressed that it made the game run like shit and like everybody it took modders being like hey man you should probably like simplify your models to make this not run like ass it doesn't run like ass now they've they've got a bunch of these games under their belt now they it runs nice um I also think that the mini games are really good. Like the piano mini game in that is phenomenal. Yeah, I've been seeing so many people share oh, clips from dude, that. that. Why is it so good? I, okay, I've just seen so people playing because, pianos. Because it's like a twin stick. Like you can basically play the real piano with like twin stick. Mm-hmm. Like it's like two dials and it gives you like, here are your chords on your left side and here are your notes on this side. And then you can like switch through to like sharp or, you know, I'm, I didn't play the piano for terribly long. I played it for like a year or so. And then I was like, this is hard, but like, <laughs> but you can do that. And then you have a like, you know, mini game where you're playing like the famous tunes from it. And it's a reference to, you know, like when Tifa, when you do go to play Tifa's uh, piano in Final Fantasy VII, if I remember correctly, if you equip her as a character or something along those lines, you can have her play it and she gets her limit break. That's the last I remember about it, but it's an interesting way to re-up. And um, it's an interesting new, very complicated way to create a mini game around a very tiny moment in the original. And those are the parts of the game that I like. I like the honeybee in shit. I like these, like, let's really rip apart this like tiny part of this game and then like stretch it out and like have fun with it. And what I don't like is that there's a sliding block puzzle where you have to like vacuum up, like make a reactor goo. (laughs) And it's like, I don't think that adds anything to the narrative of Nibelheim. I mean, I, I, you, they kind of have to add these like choke points to extend the game out, I feel. Or I don't know. It's They're not terribly complicated puzzles. Maybe they will be down the line. Um, mm-hmm. But it always feels like, you know, you didn't really have to do that. Or if you did, you could have made it more interesting. Um, but yeah, you can't make it. I do. But you can't make them too hard because like Final Fantasy is an easy g- series at its core. Mm-hmm. You can't. Yeah. Yeah. Although I do, I feel like having those parts is definitely in line with the spirit of the original, because I've, I've seen people talk about this before. where like, you know, as AAA games became more of like, they, they sort of, you know, calcified into various genres that have expected components to them and things like that. You no longer got these big games that contained, you know, not just the main exploration and combat components, but also like a snowboarding mini game for some reason. No, a snowboarding mini game is cool and it'll probably be in yeah. there. And if it isn't, I'll be mad. But like, yeah, no, it'll probably be like a fucking like simple version of SSX. Like that's the stuff I like because it has character. I think the issue is more like I played, you know, a Jedi game recently and that has really good block puzzles. And, Hmm. you know, so this sort of like, I don't know, anytime they force me to walk slow or do the, you know, the loading screen crunch where you go through a little crevasse or like any of that shit, I'm like. This doesn't feel like an active enough game. I feel like I'm being tethered down. I feel like I'm being slowed down mm-hmm. to pad out the game or to like do a graphical load. I mean, the loading thing is whatever, but you know, the, the, it's the parts where it slows me down 
are annoying. And it, it and, and I really hope there isn't too much of that in this game. There was a lot of that in the previous game. Um, <laughs> and it's, yeah, it's just, it's just, it's really like, man, I get it. Like I saw a crevasse. Okay. In the demo, I see a crevasse and I'm like, I have to go into the crevasse. It won't let me go into the crevasse. And then I have to like go up to see the bridges out. And they're like, oh, the bridge is out. Come back. Hey, maybe you should go into this crevasse. I was like, yeah, I should have gone into the crevasse to begin with. And I know narratively they want me to do that, but it's an annoying way to do it. Um, yeah, that is really annoying. Also, um, I will say from a lore perspective, there are little tiny things that they change that are um, very funny. Like, like Tifa mentions that Shinra Manor is a rental. <laughs> like that they rented they're like oh yeah back when shinra was like a little up-and-coming smaller industrial um, concern this kept the town afloat and i'm like i don't know man i don't know if i need to know that about this i think it can just be a spooky mansion it is kind of funny <laughs> i'm not holding it against it um and the other thing is it's really gay this demo is really really gay um there's just a lot of stolen glances because this is the time when Sephiroth and Cloud are flashback and meeting, you know, in mm-hmm. someone's memory. Um, and so there's a lot of these like very like winking fan service things. Um, I forget who Tifa's, you know, person. I won't spoil too much, but there's just a lot of like, mm, you know, like hey sailor shit going on in it. That's pretty <laughs> nice. That's the stuff I like. I like it when it's gay and I like it when they have fun with their mini games and I don't care about the Kingdom Hearts shit because, but I also know who it's for and it's not for me. Yeah, right. Such a puppy, um, Drew yes. And, yeah, Drew and Chad also just said Shinra started in a garage somewhere in Cupertino. Yeah. It's just a really <laughs> weird way to think about that company, you know? Yeah. Um, but a very modern, like, thread to inject into yes, it, I guess, I which guess. makes sense. Like, this is a modern reimagining. I'm not, I'm not, like, I'm not criticizing the game at all. It's just, like, a strange, right. like, uh, you know, all the the need to, to, to pull these, to stretch these games out and to add detail is not always additive is I guess the point. Right. And it Sometimes is it's superfluous or at best neutral. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Okay. That's in my head now. You know, like, right. You, right. Could have just been a spooky castle. <laughs> um, I am curious though, because like, again, I don't really know the content of the demo. I've been avoiding it because the game's going to come out really soon anyway. So I'm just like, you know, I'll just wait. Um, but in the lead up, you know, people have compared this at least in terms of like size and scope to like a Witcher or a Yakuza with all of, with a, with a bunch of side quests and stuff. Does it, from what you've played, feel that way? Or does it feel, you know, pretty similar to the first Final Fantasy VII remake? They don't, there's not enough there. The Nibelum part isn't like enough to really give you that scope. Although it looks like when I beat it, there are, there's like another part of the demo that's like, this will be unlocked at a later date. So I think maybe they're going to just like unlock that part as they get closer to release. And that one has Maybe like that'll be like the opening of the game, and then you can just like have your save file carry. Over I think the cool. I think the Nibelheim part is the opening of the game, based on oh. like I think that's they're doing. I think that's how the previous demo worked, where it was just like the beginning part, like the first chapter of the game. And mm-hmm. I believe this is that, but I don't know what the later thing is. And then yeah, they they do a really smart thing, which a lot of gamers games do. Um, Final Fantasy, uh, uh, Final Fantasy, the last Final Fantasy did that, and it was. Um, uh, you know, it's like, just keep going. And would you like to buy it? And it's that sort of digital on-ramp of please buy this now mm. is very, very good. Um, it's, it's a great, it's a really organic way to get people to buy your game. Cause they're like, yeah, fuck it. I'm right here right now. It's like two clicks. Um, yeah, I, I didn't know they were doing that for this one. That's that, that changes my thinking. I need to get a PlayStation fast. 
I, I you know what anecdotally i've seen a lot of uh playstations and xboxes sub 300 dollars now hmm. on facebook marketplace um i don't i don't own either of those and every so often i think oh i should buy a console and then i think nah whatever and, uh, so but it's, they yeah, work it's expensive but, but yeah it's 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 i mean they're on their game mechanically uh they i think this one has to make money because like the last one kind of didn't um but I'm not sure how much of that is like exclusivity or I don't know. Uh, yeah. I think more people have have those these consoles now, though. Oh, yeah. It's a good segue yeah, into, a, into another big topic of the week. Oh, yeah. But, Which one is that? Right? All this stuff about Xbox. and everything. You could have you could have darned. I thought I was going to cleverly lead you in to talking about. No, it, I'm, I'm just going to let you take the reins. Screwed it up. <laughs> Shoot. Um, this whole um, thing with with Luke wrote an article about this. Um about Xbox bringing its games to PlayStation or whatever, and people having fun. Right, right. And everyone Sum being it up better very than mad, I can, but also... Yeah. Um, <laughs> Damn it. This yeah, is going to be so also, good. Like, and the question of... No, no, it's, I, I still enjoyed that. You did your best. Crap. Um, but, yeah, I mean, like, the question of, you know, and Luke can speak more to this, like, what is Xbox anymore? Like, especially, you know, removed from exclusives. And I think that's an interesting question, not just in the pejorative sense of, oh, man, they're getting rid of their exclusives. They're giving them to everyone else. Wow, they've really failed. But in the sense of, like, what is a what is a console ecosystem in this day and age? Why buy one console over another? What What's the point of any of this? I mean, <laughs> but I guess to, like, segue it, because you're talking about consoles, and I, I feel like as mm. I said out loud, I don't own a console. And I remembered, you know, I think saying something like that at, like, Kotaku would get you, you know, murdered by angry mobs um it it kind of doesn't feel necessary and maybe that's a sign of this this coming together as so i have a gaming pc i guess i own a switch um and, and the switch has games that other things don't have but like you know pretty much everything i want to play more or less is on my pc and more and more is coming to my pc and so like to me it makes a lot of sense to just have the one object and i think we've talked about mm-hmm. before i mean the the gaming pc is kind of a specialized object but um it it feels to me maybe less and less necessary to own every single machine and i think like luke's blog kind of touched on and like a lot of people have said this week and on the one hand i think that's that seems like it's good for microsoft right microsoft can move away from its specialty box to making money where people are on all of their boxes but on the other hand sort of feels like it does raise the specter of like what is the value of the specialty box then you know so like it does raise the the issue of like i think i don't think it raises such big questions because these questions are only like these issues and these problems and these questions are only related to microsoft like nintendo is not going to stop releasing consoles with nintendo games on them anytime soon PlayStation aren't going to do that either. They've got a whole stable of successful first-party games. They're going to keep releasing until the dying of the sun. This is really only like a Microsoft-specific problem that they've sort of backed themselves into where they've bought all these massive third-party publishers and studios from Bethesda to now Activision Blizzard. And it's like, here's a Bethesda joke. They're now over-encumbered. Like, they, they, can't, <laughs> they can't just release these games on xbox consoles anymore it's too big like it's gotten too big um and, and so there's people like free- that part of the discourse the legal discourse about them buying activision right was this whole this whole question i mean so. kind of yeah that was more of a competition yeah um concern than 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 anything else this is way funnier than that because this is self-inflicted yeah. um <laughs> but like it just yeah 
it's it's kind of the biggest piece of gaming news in years, but also not because it's it's like taken at face value today. Like the idea that one of the three platform holders is going to be releasing games on another platform is wild. Like it's never happened before. Like the the the, the closest thing people can relate to this is when Sega dropped out of being a, a yeah, platform holder with the every, Dreamcast, every other platform. But that coincided with the death of their hardware business. Microsoft yeah. haven't announced that yet, and and likely like may not either. Like they're not going to. I highly doubt they're going to come out next week and sort of say, "Hey, your Xboxes are all worthless. We're not making con. You know, <laughs> we're not making hardware anymore. You know, right? And so it's this way more convoluted situation where you've got this company that has really had no idea what it's been doing strategically for the last 10 years because they've been buying all these studios and trying to sell games on a dedicated piece of hardware while at the same time pushing this subscription-based platform that I think a lot of people have very legitimate concerns over because of the way that threatens the sort of gaming ecosystem as we know it because it's likely to strip things back and threaten the production of things like Netflix and, and blah, 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 I've done to streaming. You know, that, that's a different conversation for another day. But like, yeah, it's just... Yeah, it's kind of huge news, but also not because when I say Microsoft have been in this problem for 10 years, they've also been building up to this for 10 years. Like Minecraft has been out on other platforms for a long time. Right. Microsoft's also, been releasing Xbox games on PC for a very long time. Some yeah, of them day and date with Xbox. Yeah. And yeah, well, Sony Sony's, like, haven't, Sony's haven't been day and date at least. Like Sony's have been sort yeah, of six they, to 12 months further out. later. But stuff like Halo Infinite and Forza games now come out on Steam the same day they come out on Xbox. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and well, so yeah, it's like that's- I think that like the, the goal over time, especially if you're somebody like Microsoft, um, is, you know, to have less of like a boxed kind of, you know, singular object and more to have an ecosystem, which I mean, you know, Game Pass is also a big part of, even if Game Pass is still not a huge part of their business in terms of how much money it brings in. But yeah, I mean, I think that's like the future looking version of this because you look at the way the world operates and the necessity of having a single little box that all of your all of your games are tethered to that is hardware driven as opposed to like cloud-based or whatever. It's just becoming less and less of like a relevant thing. I, and so after a certain point, you got to see the yet, way the winds all, are yet blowing. You all just sat there talking about you need to buy a PlayStation. Like, <laughs> like is it? Or oh, yeah, is it just sure. that nobody needs to buy an Xbox anymore? Is, I think is, it's, I think it's closer to that. I, I think it's closer yeah. to, to like, you know, they haven't differentiated themselves enough aside from the fact that like there's like tiny hardware things. I actually prefer the Xbox too, but that's because I'm a nerd. Uh, yeah. Better and, controller. The controller's yeah. always been better, yeah. Yeah, 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 you know, it's, I mean, neither better, of them, but yeah. that's is my Get answer. Xbox but, 360 controller. But, but the other thing is, like, you know, like, I don't know, I, none of these companies really have strong identity anymore except Nintendo. You know what I mean? Relative to mm -hmm. each other. PlayStation has, like, these tent poles, but, like, the rest of what made PlayStation, PlayStation kind of fell apart. And so, like, you know, they kind of ha are in the catbird seat of just like, you know, like they're the ones who inherit the big, big adult console business. But I don't know, like, how good that is. And Microsoft's whole plan felt like if, you know, like it's the same plan as Embracer, except they had the infinite money hack. They're like, all right, we'll get all this stuff together and then underpants gnome shit. You know what I mean? It was literally like, right. and then, it, you know, a solution will present itself. And it kind of didn't. And they didn't really have a cohesive idea of like how to how to market you know their exclusives like you know I, and now it's just like well, they, what are we going to do they with didn't it? even have any like that i've like I, i've, I've talked about this on social media like microsoft used to 
have a very strong first party identity. And that was mm. strongly linked to the original Xbox and Xbox 360 success was that Microsoft had like, yeah, it had Halo, but it also had this roster of other like really strong first party games like Fable. Um, like it had, it had the, the old forces, but it also had Project Gotham Racing. Like it had, there was a, a bunch of games you could only get on Xbox, just like you could only get on PlayStation but- or Nintendo. And then when I talk about Microsoft's successive failures over a couple of generations, like so much of that comes back to the decision to stop doing that when they clearly like, and, and put a flag in the ground and said, we are shutting or selling, or we're just not making first party video games anymore. We're just going to be a third party platform. Maybe that made sense at the time. I don't know, but that's almost sort of feels like it's the thing that's led us to this point where a console hardware business that for like 40 years has been built on making sure you have your own games that make your console stand out. Microsoft kind of tried to do something else outside of that and it just hasn't worked. And so the reasons to buy an Xbox over a PlayStation or even a Switch, not that they're quite in the same market, but like it's still a a platform that you spend money on. Uh I, I do think though just, that there just, are echo. Go ahead. They just became less and less reason to buy an Xbox, and and yeah, and like, why would you buy an Xbox? You can get if you have a PC, you can get their games on PC. If you have a PlayStation, like, what Xbox games are there that are going to make you want to buy both consoles when the few tentpole franchises they do have left? Like, Forza is good, but like every Forza is also the same, um, and you can and you can get that on PC the last Halo game wasn't great. You know, that's, that's not, that didn't make people rush out and like, it wasn't a must have console shifting game. You know what I mean? Um, and so they're I, left I, with this box that is like, yeah, it's not a failure by any means. Like a lot of people own, own Xboxes and are very happy with them for a multitude of reasons, but like, yeah, yeah. No, I, I guess what I'm saying is like that it, there are reflections of that in Sony as well with just the consolidation yes. to these big, huge tent poles. Like what the, the extra stuff that gave it identity doesn't exist anymore. And the only person, the only person in the corporate sense, you know, like the only entity that does that is Nintendo where it's like, you'll watch a Nintendo direct and it's like a bunch of like weird, goofy, like tiny studio development stuff that like actually is the little like, Hey, yeah, we'll play a WarioWare game where he's in France for some reason, you know, shit like, you know, like weird tiny things that could only exist on that hardware or like the character of it only makes sense on that hardware. You know what I mean? And like, I, I don't think, I think Sony's also in trouble, but they are in less, not like trouble because trouble's fake. I don't know. They're, they, they have a more coherent brand identity than Microsoft and, but not by a lot, I guess is the thing. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? But they just, they, but that's all you need. You need like a slight edge on your first party titles. You need a couple of really big hits. And it's like everybody who's on the fence is going to choose yeah, that. Goes, that yeah. Just choose the, uh, the, the uglier box. Yeah. Right. Well, but they, that's, because that's, that's it's really just competition between the two of them. And Nintendo is always doing its own thing. Yeah. And so most people are like, yeah, I have either a PlayStation or an Xbox and then also a switch. Um, but I mean, also like, I think that, you know, if you want to talk about the benefits of being an ecosystem as opposed to a platform in the sense, or as opposed to a hardware platform, and I don't think that you can just replicate this because a lot of people have tried and failed miserably. Um, but like Steam is, you know, the ultimate example. Steam doesn't really have exclusives. It's just where people release games. Um, and like now between, you know, Steam and the Steam Deck and these other hardware options that also support Steam, you can basically like, you know, buy whatever, Steam's on there. All your games are there waiting for you. 
easy enough. And like, it's just, it's just nice. Like, I mean, it's why I don't have any consoles right now because I just haven't needed one because of steam because its ecosystem's good. And like, again, I don't think that's doable one-to-one in the way that like a Microsoft might want it to be. But that's why I think they're, you know, instead saying, okay, we can put our some of our exclusives elsewhere. We can have Game Pass. We can sort of slowly branch out in all these different directions so that ultimately our game serves as an advertisement for our ecosystem that people will want to be part of. And then we can grow it out in these other ways too later on. Mm. It's hard, it's, yeah, it's just hard seeing what that exactly is going to, I'm, I'm assuming we're going to get at least a broad outline of that next week when they sort of, have to explain what they're have doing. Have they said when that is? <laughs> is there a time and date for that yet? Or Phil Spencer was Phil Spencer was just like, oh, next week. Phil Spencer was like, uh, yeah. uh oh, everyone's mad at me. Yeah, yeah. next week, next week. That was get, really my, get my secretary on the phone right now. Yeah, uh. that was kind of a, <laughs> yeah. a bit of a treat <laughs> to see. I mean, um, it's just yeah. hard to say what what exactly it's going to be though, because like you said, yeah. like Steam already does that. Um, right. Oh yeah, but I I mean, but you know key to any of this steam does not have a cloud gaming service i mean they have the steam cloud that's different they don't have something like game pass um i still think that that's microsoft's best weapon in all of this Mm. but it's going to be an uphill battle because again you know like as we've discussed in the past um gamers at least like the illusion of ownership of their games they don't actually own their games but you know they like to believe that they do and it's going to take a long time to erode that. And then on top of that, you have the fact that, you know, streaming anything is really expensive. This is why Netflix and company are not profitable and are having to try all of these weird bundle efforts and putting ads in everything to try to make ends meet. So, I mean, yeah, to, I, I think that, you know, your point about Microsoft being in a weird spot is not incorrect. I just think that there is a potential way forward, but it's also a really, really difficult one. Yeah, I mean, my 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 wager for this would be that it's almost going to be like a relaunch of what Xbox means as a brand and Xbox, they will just be relaunching Xbox as this, like, <laughs> wait, wait, I just had a great idea. Corporeal. Because, you know, like, not I, gonna, well, you know, if they're relaunching it as a brand um, and they're not going to have the box component anymore. So they're removing that. So they're just going to have to call it X. X uh. <laughs> mm, they must be and furious then, uh, internally. It is the, it is the everything platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> they did get first. Oh, that's the plan they're going to announce next week they're partnering partnering with elon that's what you're he's gonna, this whole you're time. gonna curse it dude yeah. <laughs> but you know like I mean, they relaunch it as a as a brand like a catch-all term like yeah like people used to say nintendo in the 80s or whatever just meant a video game like they'll they'll say xbox mm. is a place where you play all these games and it'll it could be I on mean, an xbox it could be on a a future piece of hardware that, that they release which is a little more than like a streaming set-top box kind of gateway to it there'll be xbox a- apps for for smart tvs xbox apps for your phone xbox apps for everything yeah. else and they're and they're all just linked to cloud gaming they're all linked to a library they already have some of those shop. yeah they already they definitely yeah they already yeah. have a lot of that already but like some kind of unification of that or you know rebranding and, and repurposing of it to sort of be this singular sort of like steam is like steam exists in in, in a few different ways but it's still steam is they would have yeah, some kind exactly. of central xbox shop and library and streaming service and whatever and it's just all in the one place um you know yeah. here's which the, like yeah steam's doing so well if only they had some kind of set top device that you know i kind of wonder like would that be so bad sort of like the way that I'd, you know it's easy to laugh at like um you know hbo getting rid of the word hbo or whatever but like because I think some of the some of the response to the whole thing has been like 
you know, the, the, the fan association with the box and with the brand. And there's a way in which I think you could just let that die. And there's another way in which I wonder, like, is that really stupid of Xbox or is it like good? You know what I mean? Well, I that's know. like when we say it's a big story and it's a, a complicated story. I mean, that's that's the other side of it. There's the strategic business side that everyone can armchair analyst like we're doing now, like talk about. And that's fine. But yeah, then, yeah, there's the whole other side of it where there's this. Um, sort of weaponized army of console fanboys out there sort of conditioned from decades of frontline service. And, um, it's going to be like, what do they do when, when the war ends, you know, <laughs> like, like, are you, are you still going to be like, are you still going to stand a streaming service? Are you going to? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That would bring us neatly onto one of the other major pieces of news this week, which is, uh, multiple staffers at IGN um, mm. voting and forming a union that is currently in um, the process of trying to be ratified by management Good. and ownership. And a time of a time of <laughs> recording has not, but we would hope that that would be changing. Um, I don't. Does anybody remember? When, I can't remember when the other Ziff people unionized. Was it was was Ziff Davis cool about it? I don't remember at all. I mean, cool in relative like terms. did they voluntarily yeah. recognize it at least or was the i don't I, 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 I always lose track of these things like yeah, when, yeah when what it, was the previous when did someone else ever unionize i can't uh, remember the ziff davis creators guild is like pc mag and men's health and it's under news guild which is a good ah uh, yep yeah, okay um games adjacent i thought you were talking about like that one up unionized or something <laughs> like back in no. the day and i was like what i don't remember, I was trying to remember if no i wish oh, uh, uh Mm. I guess Retronauts is is kind of collective like now. In, oh, in a as if Davis way. Creators Guild voted to authorize a strike in twenty one twenty twenty one, so I'm gonna guess that uh, they weren't great about it. <laughs> I'm, uh, um, I, you know, I'm not gonna speak out of pocket, and, or I don't know. I'm glad it's IGN. Uh, they're really big. They're very yeah, big, they, and I I think they've needed a union more than a lot of people for not just like pay reasons because i've known some people who have freelanced and it's been bad um but also for just basic like you know meat and potatoes like i don't know i, I feel like they would have had a little bit more uh, I, I don't want to reckon it too much but the entire like palestinian solidarity thing years ago would probably would have yeah, had, yeah. had a little bit more um and I know they got to put back, whatever. But, you know, there's, it's not just how much money you're making sometimes. Sometimes it's like a group of people having their back and being able to, like, strike is fucking really useful for a lot of reasons. And Yeah, um, I think they, you know, they said, and it's a kind of common line in unionization, like, you know, the, the time to unionize is when things are good to protect yeah. the things being good. And, and they're so big. And, and I think that it, it sends a good message to other gaming sites. You know, we all are full disclosure have been in union shops. I'm a union goon. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it does send a really good message to the, to the gaming space, to the journalism space. It's a, you know, we've seen so much unionization and union activity this year. And so any of that is, you know, super great. Um, yeah, I think it's great. It's I'm always so happy to see you know more people joining unions. It's always good to me. Um, but I, I think it's really you know. cool though. Like if you take a step back and just be like, man, IGN are unionizing. Like that's yeah, 
super cool, like inside baseball stuff, but people are, are usually quite derogatory towards like historically towards IGN as like yeah I wonder as an, if- as, an as an outlet and and they've been, they've been doing some really good work over the last five six seven years of trying to improve that by hiring yeah. people who are really sort of serious about reporting and who are serious about about dealing with cultural issues um, more appropriately than they had previously um, and this is another example of that kind of paying off and sort of being representative that hey we're now at a point. In, in IGN's evolution and, and coverage where a, a sizable portion of their workforce um, at a sort of sub-editorial level um, are fucking I mean, I wonder if, like, cool. one of the – sorry, I'm screwing with my headphones. I wonder if, like, one of the things that's hard about IGN and under is, like, it's so big both staff-wise and all of the stuff that they do, and they do so much different kinds of content that, like, when I think about IGN, I think about, like – you know, Rebecca and Kat's reporting, but also there's all these other, there's all this stuff going up on that side every day that I, you know, don't engage with or don't look at. And like, it, it's hard to see. It's it's such a behemoth, you know, it's hard to see the whole site, I think. And Yeah, I, I, um, I, th- I think that those are- That's those a strength, also- I think, for them, I'm sure, you know, traffic-wise and, and otherwise. Um, yeah, that, yeah, I think like, that also is is I don't know your your coverage gets better when you're a union shop, and maybe that's yeah. just me, and maybe it's just the coverage I prefer. But like you get you have a more interesting perspective when you are in a solidaristic state with your with your coworkers. You know, yeah. I the it, it kind of radicalizes you. It gives you a better like attitude towards workforce. Our our output got better when we unionized because we cared more about labor because the dynamic of labor became more transparent. You know what I mean? Like that is just a simple and sometimes that doesn't work and sometimes a union is just a sclerotic thing like I don't know, the Times Union is kind of kind of in that case, kind of kind of or, but, you know, like newer u- media unions are filled with like a lot of really young or younger or like more better rank and file members. And I think that like that's sort of indicative of how IGN has staffed up in a lot of ways. And it's it's cool that they're the big guy, quote unquote, and and now they're, they're now they're unionized. I don't know. It's pretty straightforward. Well, unionizing, hopefully. Yeah. Unionizing. I'm, I'm sure. Unionizing. I, you know, not ratified. Hopefully it will. Hopefully it will work. Um, it's a long process, as uh, yes, as, as folks. What's the specifics like? How how many how many people have signed? Is it like uh, is it like so 70 something people? Um, I think it was a super majority. I can't remember. So a super yeah. majority yeah, has to vote that's, to be in a union, and then because IGN normally has sort of a hundred, hundred and twenty people, give or take. Yeah, it's not. I don't um, know that they've said who's actually in it. One of the tangly things about unions is like who's eligible to be in it and why and the company will any company will argue with you because it obviously wants as few people as possible to yeah. be i mean as as a so, as a bit of background to that as well like ign would have a lot of international employees um yeah so they i can. like i i wasn't i was never eligible to join um the the gmg um back at kotaku because i i didn't live i wasn't eligible as a resident and ign would have a lot of people in i don't know they have an australian team there's people in the uk and whatever else as well who wouldn't be eligible to join the union um but you know that doesn't mean they can't support them um or whatever yeah. as well but yeah it probably and impacts that it's a, it was it was a super majority of people who are eligible to join the union in the us yeah which is yeah. still pretty good yeah, yeah. you know like I, I i think that's a just again it's a it's a it's a good 
really, it's a really, really good thing to happen. You know, I, I unions, cool, good. Um, I guess if we want to, we can just move on from, or move on to the mailbag now. Okay. So let's go over to the Q and A, because we have some questions this week from that. Q and A. Um, so let's see. uh, Get Kirk to write us a jazzy little tune or something like that. That'd be really great, actually. Other than we'd sound a lot like triple click. Um, only if it was jazzy, we could get him to do something like metal. That would yeah. be awesome, actually. I'd or love a Kirk metal song. Just some, like, yeah, like a crunchy Kirk riff. And then we just. I saw, I saw him and um, I was in Portland last, last summer and he and I hung out and I went to his house and it was just like everything was lovely. We went on a hike to a mountain and like the whole thing was oh, just. Oh, lovely. Like, he drove me yeah. to the airport. It was just like the loveliest encounter of yep. all time. I pet yeah, his dog. Like, nice. Yep. He's, li- he's living the dream, man. Um, right. Okay. So here's a question that I think dovetails with what we were already talking about. I'm not sure if we can speak to the facts of it exactly because, you know, there's not a good way to know, but I think we can speak about the potential for something like this to occur. Basically, um, so IntraHype says, re the IGN union, with more and more of these per company unions coming about, is there any broader union effort underway in the journalism space? Um, Which, yeah, I find that to be an interesting question because you would sure hope so. Yes. I mean, obviously, I mean, just today, CN, who just unionized today? NBC, CNBC, someone, shoot, I'm going to get it wrong. Another uh, digital shop just announced unionizing with the guild today. I think one of the problems is like, you know, there's the News Guild, which is the parent union of IGN, of the Post, I think of the Times, blah, blah, blah. And the Writers Guild, which is what Kotaku was part of, Writers Guild of America East, um, has been sort of the union of the digital space um and so i think one thing that would i don't know that we'd ever all join together as one big union because you have these two different parent unions kind of organizing in that space and like ultimately that's fine you could make an argument that there's some kind of you know competition turf war happening there um which i'm sure is is or isn't true for like those big parent unions and their pocketbooks or whatever but i think it's ultimately like meaningless it more and more people are unionizing. I think to me, a normal, a normal Joe, that's what matters. Um, so yeah, I think we're seeing it more and more. I don't know if we'd all ever, I don't think we'll all ever be in the same union or something, but like, but that's where unions, I think, get their strength too. I think one of the ways that you see bigger unions falter, you know, and you have these, I think the idea is that like, I at least grew up with of unions as being outdated and clunky is like it gets too big and it can't meet the needs of all of its members and it becomes, it can't see the, the nitty gritty. And so I think obviously like smaller units and smaller shops lets them, you know, respond to their particular pressures. Mm. So I think that there's something good to be said for those little, but then we see, you know, like we, we see how them all come together. And I think that's, I mean, we just saw this right with the onion, which, was preparing to go on strike and then didn't, and they unionized um, with the Writers Guild before they were part of us, if I recall correctly, and um, before they were part of GMG yeah, or so. GO or whomever. Yeah, and the gains that we just saw in their contract were very much inspired by the gains in the the GMG union contract, right? Like I, they even said that you know the de- Deadspin, who had been part of the GMG union and then became part of the onion union when it became part of the onion world um, 
was like they got more money because our salary floor was higher than theirs. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, said in their new contract that like, oh, look, and now, you know, that now they have these things that we had. And so those gains kind of lift like everybody. And I think that's super great. So. Yeah. Well, and you want to talk about also, you know, the downsides or the potential downsides of like a much bigger union sort of representing a lot of people. You have the issue with like SAG after handling AI um, for yeah. actors and for voice actors and all of them kind of feeling like SAG maybe didn't represent their interests quite as well as they could have. Um, and also just a lot of confusion around what the sort of AI agreement, the like one com- one-off company-based AI agreement that they did for voice acting meant. Um, and they're like, oh, you, you know, same union, you guys just spent months fighting over or fighting Hollywood about this. What are you doing? And it's like, but these were different things. And so both members got confused and SAG maybe wasn't necessarily doing everything it could. It was all just sort of like, you know, difficult. And so, yeah, to your point, it, it sometimes helps to have these smaller unions that can come together on bigger issues um, as opposed to just one big union kind of running the whole shop. Yeah. And the SAG stuff has been so interesting because I think you've seen people be unhappy with some of it. Um, I saw they had these new like contract tiers for indie games or something. Yeah, and they I just saw, announced those yesterday. Yeah, I saw some developer who maybe it was just being a crank anyway, sort of cranking on it. And it seems like, I mean, I obviously can't say like how SAG is doing. Those aren't my issues, but like, mm-hmm. it does seem like there's, and that's one of the hard things about unions though, and that I remember from bargaining our union contract, um, is like you kind of, you can't make everybody happy. And it's good in some ways because you you as the person bargaining or a member of the union have to learn to be sort of bigger than yourself and maybe I want this issue or I don't care about X issue but other people do and I get to fight for their cause but the flip side of that is like maybe I don't get the thing that's important to me and as someone on the committee you know representing Kotaku in those in those arguments like in those negotiations <laughs> um, like it's hard sometimes to think about you know, you don't want to, you want to hold everybody's needs and and how do you do that? And how do you do that within the broader organization? And it's like, it's hard. It's really hard. And and it's a lot of give and take, you know, on the macro and micro level. And um, I mean, I think there's also just the basic point of like, and I I think it's hard for some people to maybe accept this, um, given that we're in this phase right now of, you know, just building union power and like organizing and sort of, you know, uh, taking back the idea that unions are a good thing in a country that has spent years propagandizing against them. But like unions aren't perfect and they're not going to fix every problem and they're not always going to get it right. And I think that because we've been so thoroughly propagandized to be wary of unions, anytime that a union doesn't quite nail it for a large group of people, there's this major wave of like blowback or pushback. It's like, uh, on some level, maybe they don't save this part, but in their brain, on some level, they're like, they're like, oh, maybe the unions are corrupt. Maybe they are bad. Maybe everything yeah. that I grew up hearing was actually correct the whole time. This like obsesses me because I, I was an activist and and blah blah blah, and I I had those same ideas. And I think about even like you think about the Simpsons and how the Simpsons treats the union, and that's where I had learned about unions from. And I thought that they were outdated and that they were you know not useful to me. And like it's so embarrassing to say now, you know, I joined I joined. 
Gawker right when the contract was going into effect. I remember I, I got a raise before I had started. They had called me and they'd given me a salary. And then a couple of days later, you know, they called back and they said, oh, actually, it's going to be this. And I was like, I just got a raise and I don't even work here yet. Like, this is great. And then I was like, oh, it's the union because the union the contract was higher. And then like getting more involved, like it just like it blows my mind. It's so great. Like I had no idea how, how I was so wrong about what a union was in a way that is embarrassing to me. And I I remember a job that I worked after leaving Kotaku. I'd taken that with me where like something so the, the bosses wanted us to do something that we didn't want to do and I said, "You know, we can just not do it." And I remember how everybody like their eyes got wide and they're like, "What?" And I'm like, "You know, like if if we all just don't do it, like and I was like, oh, because I have union brain now, where I'm like, oh, you know, we could just get together and use our group power to, like, change the dynamics of our workplace. And um, I think, like, undoing undoing those misperceptions about what a union is has been, you know, life-changing for me and incredible. And, and, and seeing other people get to have that experience, I'm always just, like, so pumped. Like, I'm, I'm ashamed how well the propaganda worked on me for the first, you know, 35 years of my life. Like, it's embarrassing. Unions are great, but not perfect, but like the the concept is sound, you know. <laughs> um, let's see, other questions. We have one in chat. Um, can you speak a little about the PC gamer piece about the game layoff chart? I think you're referring oh, yeah. to that chart that they put out yesterday, the one that like sort of tracks layoffs over time and yeah, like represents every single individual worker as a dot on that chart. Yeah. Yeah. It's looking at it's, really- it's such a a good way to it's yeah. really it's really good like from yeah. a there's, there's very like this is gonna sound arrogant but it's not because it's like most video game press these days is a very low bar to clear but it's very very rare that video game journalists look at something that another outlet doesn't goes man i wish i'd done that that's a really good idea but fuck that's it was a really good idea like i mean it, it's it threads a needle that in terms of like our coverage of things which i'm assuming is is the slant that the question's asking like what do we as video game journalists think about someone else's piece. I think there's a few there's a few people out there and I've seen them on LinkedIn, I've seen them on other websites who are like just constantly tallying and rounding up the numbers and that's a huge bummer. Um, I, I get the reporting instinct to do it and I understand like the impulse to, to sort of catalogue the full scope of the horrors, but there's a point where it's so horrific that it actually starts to numb you to it. And they just become more and more layoffs and more and more numbers. And it actually stops being of much benefit to anybody. Um, Whereas this thing does an amazing job of, of doing that, of showing the full scale of, of what's happened, but at the same time, humanizing it of being like, yes, we know there's so many layoffs that it's a, it's that, you know, it's that Stalin, you know, quote one, one is a tragedy. A million is a statistic. Like that's what simply telling the layoffs starts to feel like, but when you can tally them and visually show them and then pick out these very human stories from among them and then make you instantly realize, oh shit, every one of these dots has a story. Like that's something that we've tried to get across in some of our layoff posts where we've tried to be like, hey, these people aren't just casualties of a, of a, a spreadsheet. These people moved, they had mortgages, they had families, they had, they've made life-changing decisions. This goes way beyond that and actually illustrates that in a really cool way. So like, yeah, it's, it's, Super impressive. Yeah, I feel like you don't see a lot of good, like, you know, data data visualization in the game space. And I think that's probably in part mm. just because it's expensive and um, I'd be hard curious to, do to know if it was inspired experts. by 
like data visualization doesn't it's not a very sexy thing and sometimes yeah, totally. when a site does it really well it but you know but sometimes it is because sometimes a site will do something visually um that's that's really cool um and i want i wonder though if it's influenced or based on because an exception to that is maybe last week or the week before the guardian um put together a uh an image of palestine oh and yeah wanted to show you how much of gaza has been destroyed in the oh, last yeah, yeah. That was really, many really weeks well it done. is. And it was like, you can see pictures on the news every day all you want of a block, of a housing block here, an apartment complex here, whatever. But seeing the entire Gaza Strip and the, every red dot is a destroyed building and the entire map is red, but every building represents a place that someone lived, worked, and potentially died in was, was horrific and, and really changed a lot of people's perceptions of the extent of the damage that's taken place there. This PC gamer piece has done almost the exact same thing, but to video game layoffs. And I'm not saying that in a callous way, trying to compare the two subject matters, of course, but in terms of representing data visually, they are very similar and, and equally effective. Yeah, it's such a yeah, it's such a rarity to see work like this in the game space, and it's yeah, it's so useful. Yeah, and, and manual because part of it also is that good like, job, PC gamer. In, in, you know, other spaces, um, in more mainstream journalism, there are data journalists. Like this kind of thing yeah. is, their is their whole job. Um, they, they, you know, primarily do not do the kind of work that we do. They do another kind. Um, and yeah, within the game space, within specifically games journalism, we just don't have access to those people. Um, you know, there are definitely some reporters like a, um, Cecilia, yeah. who we used to work with um, at Bloomberg, has done work with data journalists before, like collaborated with them over at Bloomberg. Um, and we, you can get some really cool stuff at, out of that. At, we had it at the Post, technically. I mean, yeah. one of the great things about the Post was like going to get, you know, I could wander upstairs or wherever and go find some genius at something who could do those things. And, you know, if I wish we had, I wish I had been able to, to collaborate with them more on video game stories. When we get, uh, uh, when we get, 14,000 subscribers. We can yeah, well, hire, hire a data a, journalist from the Washington Post. Data journalist. Rip Launcher, my beloved, said Drew in chat. Thanks, yeah, Rip. Yeah. It, was a, it was a good time while it lasted. Um, but yeah, let's see. On a, <laughs> on a less dour note, I once was a cat asks, if the CW were to make a show about Aftermath, what actor would play you? I don't know, man. We can't answer for ourselves. Someone else would have to answer mm. for we us. We can eat. Otherwise, answer. Uh, the, pick well, the issue with that—the issue with that—is you get into the you know who you look like shit, and right. the you know yeah. who you look like thing is never really flattering. So it's sort of a lose-lose situation um, because it's always uh, like a character actor. Okay. Well, then wait. This is perfect though. Um, pick a person who is ludicrously more attractive than you, who you sort of look like, like your pie in the sky. If it was to be, cause you know, on CW, everyone is like, they're supposed to be young and hot. And it's like, if we're going with that approach, then who would play you? I feel like I've got a similar vibe to, to, um, Buffy to Oz on Buffy season three or whatever. When I, if I was that age, that when he was that age, he's short and weird and and a little off putting, and that's mm -hmm. probably um, my vibe as well. <laughs> Just, yeah, know. that works. In my I head, when I make that. this comparison, I'm that age, even though now I'm 42. So it's it's hard to say. Yeah, you could this go. This is on a version to, of Aftermath that I started when I was 25. You could go on from running Aftermath to making robot chicken. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> um, I is think it's still on. 
Let's see. Oh, Ray, yeah, I got the vibe. I once was a cat is in chat. <laughs> that rhymed. And said that I got the vibe of the question. Hooray. I parsed it. Um, for uh, me, I would probably go with, and I, I usually go with this. It's the easy one because of my hair. Um, like Kit Harrington. You know? Yeah. I mean, that works. Either that or the actor who played Rob Stark. I feel like I'm kind oh, of a this midpoint. This is a show. The show isn't a CW show. It's a show and then that show is on CW? Yeah. Well, wait, what okay, is it? I thought it had what to be... Wait, sorry. How do you differentiate those? What would a CW show well, be? Well, because I was thinking like, like Buffy or One Tree Hill. Or oh, you mean like a literal list. show that has run there before? No, no. This is definitely oh, okay. if Aftermath uh, right. was to be made oh. into a show. Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow. What an interesting way to think. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> well, I thought that's what you said. You said CW show, right? Did I even say yeah, that? Yeah, that's how people talk about things. Like you say, you know, Archie's oh. a CW show. I thought so, it had to be like, you know, we, we have the oc theme song playing over our yeah thing over we could we, we could try to get the rights to it i don't think we'd be successful yeah. but we could try um all right, we'll just get when kirk does it when kirk does a podcast intro we'll get him to do a longer 42 yeah. second um intro to the tv series as well yeah <laughs> okay chris and luke who who are you played by i don't know I like yeah, I, I I'm sorry, I, I like I, I I don't. Okay, I've got uh, this. I've got this. Um, Chris and Luke I've got, I've got both... an accurate I've got yeah. an accurate one. Okay, what's your accurate one? Um he's not it's not but this is one that my wife gives me shit about all the time. Um and I just had to look up his name because I can never remember his name. His name's Tony Curran. He's like a he's like a British character. Like he, he's he's a guy who you do not know who he is, but you've seen him before. He's most famously uh Van Gogh in a Doctor Who. Oh um, yeah, totally. In that episode with his beard and his hair, he looks like identical to me and she it, she lost her yeah. mind at it and she just sometimes sends me pictures of that episode just to give me shit about it. Um I don't know how good his Australian accent is. Maybe we can change the character to be someone British instead. It's not <laughs> a huge um it won't um, be a huge problem to American viewers probably. British but, Luke um, is confusing to me though. Man, wait, what? British Luke would be amazing. Oh my yeah, god. Who's British Luke? That'd be so good, especially if you're like egregiously British. Um, like yeah. the like the main character in the boys. Uh. <laughs> would I be though? Would I be like a, a a jolly working class northern English accent, or would it be some like kind of sinister um, imperial security agent British accent? I don't know. Again, or- I think you should just be played by mm. what's his name, uh, Carl Urban. Which what, what's the main name of the actor who plays uh, Butcher yeah, in the boys? Carl Urban. Carl Urban. Yeah. yeah, you could just be played by Carl Urban. I think that'd be perfect. Um, he's actually he's Australian. Australian. He's just playing British. Or New Zealand, Isn't yeah. He from New Zealand, yeah. But I mean, similar accent. They're the same, right? <laughs> Are they a little bit different? Yeah, they're pretty different. I'm sure. Really? I'm sure That's he can crazy. do a. I'm sure he can do a passable Australian accent. Yeah, even if his British yeah. is pretty bad. <laughs> it's oh, so this bad. is like how I uh, Cyril's is lives in Australia, but I think is originally from Scotland, and I feel like I think of him in my head as. Australian, and then when he starts talking, did you say? Yeah, I was going to say you can never say he was originally from Scotland. Like if you hear him talk, he's Scottish. Yeah, it's like shocking. (laughs) Yeah, he's like one of the most Scott. He's like he's like Scott Limmy Scottish. He's upsetting. (laughs) Scottish. He had that show on CDET that I look up sometimes where he just yells Scottishly about things, and it's like it's a hoot. Yeah, the biggest the biggest journalistic travesty of the last decade was CNET like pushing a bunch of people out and depriving us of more. Like angry yeah. Mark, just yelling about something onto a camera for fifteen minutes. It was wonderful. If, you, if you're if you're listening really at home guy, or yeah. watching this, like if you search Mark Serrell's CNET 
angry man should probably get you there. Um, <laughs> angry man. <laughs> yeah, that's so good. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I think we figured out who will all be played by. Chris will play himself. Um, sure. Yeah, I think that's perfect. Yeah, I don't want to. I, I I would feel weird acting, and I don't know. I, I it's 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 a it's just a I, I I refuse the question just based on the I just don't like the dynamic of the question usually. Okay, fair <laughs> enough. Um, let's see. With all of that said, I think that's all of the questions. Um, so thanks to everybody who tuned in this week via the stream and the podcast. Um, I'm sorry to the people who watched the stream for all of the technical issues, of which there were many. Uh, podcast listeners, you don't get that special, unique experience, and uh, you know you're you're much better for it. But anyway, uh, we will be back with another episode next week. That will be blessedly free of the technical issues, hopefully. Until then, thank you for tuning in and bearing with us. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye everybody.